to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. So, we are in Ephesians chapter 5, and so I'm going to invite you to turn uh, in, in the Bible that you have to that. If you're using the, the green one we've supplied, it's on page 816. And remember that in this letter, Paul has been kind of outlining what it means to be the church in a um, difficult environment where the tensions of spirituality work itself out in particularly difficult and painful ways in terms of sexuality, in terms of of, uh, the the forces of darkness that are present and powerful uh, in terms as well and in in particular um, on, on how power is used in culture, how power is used uh, in, in relationships. It, the Ephesian culture is a culture of, 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 of power and, and how to manipulate and control and use power. Uh, spiritual, sexual power, physical power, dominating power, all kinds of, kinds of things. And the two primary ways that the Ephesian culture had learned power was coming out of Genesis 3 to either use their personal power to dominate or their personal power to manipulate. The goal always is to get what I want in the shortest possible way. In the surest possible way. I want to use the power that I have to assert my position and to acquire more power. Does that sound at all familiar? I, I know this was 2,000 years ago. We don't have to worry about power being used that way now. Um, things have changed radically, right? Not so much. So when Paul talks then in that first half of the letter about the nature of the church and who we are in Christ, one of the, one of the, the identifying marks that then fuels the next part, the last half, remember, first half theology, last half What does this look like in real life? When Paul does that here, what he's inviting us into is to consider how how does the church formed by the call and grace of God live out in a culture that is so oppositional to the message and way and, 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 and life of the church community? How does the church do this, especially in a culture like this that is so not just um uh, indifferent but hostile to to the to the message. So this is where we're going to look this out today. He says, first of all, every one of you needs to be equipped to do this. God has given you pastors and 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 and, and apostles and prophets and evangelists, people who are, are 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 given to you to equip you so that you can do the work of service out in the world where you live. So you can be the body of Christ in that environment. That's that's the kind of the Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 and following, right? And then in order to do that, however, you've got to be holy. Not in some weird sense with skinny ties and white shirts, but in, 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 in a sense that, that, is, that is, it, it, it is representing God's having, having given you a place. Holiness, remember, is not what you become, it's who you are. You are holy. So now, live out that holiness in the world that you live in. Otherwise, there's no usefulness to you. Holiness is the platform for usefulness. 
in the community, right? You're in the world, but you can't be of the world. Otherwise, you're not helpful to help save the world. So this is, this is where we were in the last couple of three weeks. Last week, Darren was talking about how now we are in this world. We are to make the most of every opportunity to redeem the time, to live uh, uh, unadulterated lives of pure presence where you are. Probably the single hardest thing in the world to do. We are, we are seduced and distracted and, and, and shaped and formed. To be present requires an enormous amount of focused, concentrated, spiritually empowered energy. That's why, for example, it's so easy for us to be distracted with alcohol and drugs and, and all kinds of other things. And Paul reminds us, no, 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 no. If you do that, it will lead you off the path that you say you want to pursue. So speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's the framework. That's how we reorient. But then he wants to talk about these power relationships in some ways. And he uses three key areas over the next two weeks. Today and next week, we'll talk about how this works itself out. First of all, in the most intimate of relationships, both in the Ephesian culture and in our culture, that is the relationship between a husband and wife. How does, how does power work itself out in marriage in opposition to the world that you live in? How does power work itself out in the relationship between parents and children and children and parents? That's next week. And then also next week, how does power work itself out at 9 o'clock on Monday morning when you punch the clock and show up at work? In the pattern of relationships, whether you're a supervisor or an employee, how does power... How does this new life in Christ, how does this identity in Christ work itself out in those patterns of relationships? So that's where we're going to be uh, in, in, this, in this next couple of weeks. All right. So the one today, how does it work itself out in the most, sub, sub, um, most, most, most uh, intimate of core relationships? That is the relationship between husband and wife. Now, those of you who have been at the garden for a while, you know, we've talked at this, on this before. If you've done premarriage counseling with me before with Darren. We've talked about this before, so you guys can nap uh, during this part if you'd care to just snore quietly. <clears throat> but I'd like you to look at this passage. It begins in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now. As the church then submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, or wrinkle, or any other blemish, but rather holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they do their own bodies. The one who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hates his own flesh, but feeds and cares for their body, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason... 
A man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And unfortunately, I cut off the last little bit of the slide. It says this. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking primarily about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife see to it that she respect her husband. So is this just about marriage? Is this just about the relationship between husbands and wives? I'm going to suggest to you that it is not. That this is an example of the kinds of ways that we handle power in all of our relationships, no matter how intimate they are. This is a, an example of how we work out the Christ life that has been worked in to us. How does this affect the way we treat one another in community? So we're going to go back and we're just going to go through the, through the text uh, a, a verse at a time. And uh, so he begins with this verse, submit to one another, and, and the, Hebrew, the, the Greek literally comes back with this emphasis, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. So who is supposed to submit here? Everyone. To whom? And each other. So, are wives supposed to submit themselves to husbands? Yes. Are husbands supposed to submit themselves to wives? Yes. That's the umbrella that then gets explained in the next two paragraphs. How, how are you all doing so far? Now, the reason I want to stop with this is because this verse, the second verse here, Wives Submit Yourself, has been taken out of context and used to brutalize women for far too long. It is a misunderstanding of what that text is about. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take the pen, and if the words submit to are in italics in your Bible, cross them out. Why? In the second verse, wives, submit yourselves to. Why? Because they're not in the original Greek language of verse 22. Do you see what the paragraph actually reads? Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. If you start, and the reason I'm playing with this is, even in this translation that we've given you this morning... They've got the paragraph division at verse 22. Do you notice that? The paragraph does not begin at verse 22. The paragraph begins at verse 21. Why is that important? Because there's no verb in verse 22. Where does the verb, verse 20, I know you didn't come to church for grammar lesson this morning, but this is an important eschatological, exegetical, that's the word I'm looking for, one of those E words. Um, uh, point. Everybody tracking with me? So if the verb is missing in verse 22, which it is, where do you collect the verb from? Verse 21. So again, the sentence actually reads, Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. Why does Paul do that in the Ephesian culture? Because the Ephesian culture is a male-dominated culture and Paul wants to say something about the necessity of women in that culture and of otherwise 
Submitting to husbands. What is the only thing that makes it safe and possible for a wife to submit herself to her husband? That her husband has submitted himself to the Lord, one. And two, that her husband has submitted himself to her. That's the only thing that makes submission safe and possible. Here's why. The word submission is a military term. It means literally translated to line up under. It comes from a time in history in which there were no standing armies or very few of them that were state or uh, except the state authorized ones. So if I were a, 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 a landowner and I, we were under attack, I would need to supplement my bodyguard or my household guard with men and women, with men particularly, who would choose to line up under my authority as we were to go into battle to protect our homes, right? If we wanted to extend the influence. So I want you to think about this. If you were in an environment looking for, maybe in the market one place, one day, shopping, right? And here's the landowner, little sign, side of the road, seeking men to line up under me. What would you want to know before you chose to do that? You got that frame in your mind? You might want to know what the mission is. You want, might want to know what his win-loss record is. You might want to know, does he have a strategy? Does he have a plan to provision the troops? Does he have an exit strategy to get us back home? Right? You might want to know if this mission is worth the risk of my life for. You might want to know if, um, if, if this is something that, that, that is going to, what, what's it going to benefit you? All of those things might be of consideration. That's the same consideration that Paul says ought to be used as wives go shopping for husbands. On the side of the road, husband standing on the side of the road, a little sign saying, seeking wife to line up under me. Ladies, what do you want to know? All of the same things. Does he have a job? What's his mission? What's his heart? What's his character? All of those things are all critical. And Paul says, ladies, those things are all very important. But here's what you really need to know. Has he demonstrated capacity over the period of time that you have known him to lay down his rights, his power, his authority to serve you, to elevate your dreams above his? If he has not, it is probably not safe for you to submit to him. Otherwise, you have an imbalance of power. If power has not been used to submit and serve, it will be used to manipulate outcomes. So the old joke, yes, the husband is the head of the wife, but the wife is the neck that turns the head. Unfortunately, it's not a joke. It's the Ephesian culture of power that is diabolical flowing out of Genesis 3 and still exists to this day. And it will not produce the kind of marriage that bears witness to the love of Christ for the church and the world, which is, Paul's going to suggest, the point of this whole thing. Do you see where we're going? So, so there is this mutual submission, husbands to wives, wives to husbands, and both to Christ, it is submission to Christ that makes it possible for me to risk submitting 
to my wife or to my husband, right, in relationships to my friend. I don't have to win. I don't have to use my power to get my way. I can use my power to lift. I can use my power to elevate. I can use my power to empower others. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. That's how we're supposed to use it. All right? So in the Ephesian culture... Paul's language here is, is radical already because he's saying to wives, first of all, submission can never be demanded or defined. It can only be earned and offered. With me? Can't be demanded or defined. It can only be earned and then offered. So any husband that at one point or another says, in the heat of battle... The Bible says you have to submit to me. What do you now know? He is not safe in that moment to submit to. He hasn't earned it because he's using his power to dominate rather than elevate. How are you all doing? Everybody good? Go to another church next week where they get it right. No? Okay. So, with that, and why does he do that? Please notice, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, what? His body. So is this, Christ is the head of the corporation, church. No, this is Christ the head, head of the body. This is the metaphor that controls the image. It's not a hierarchical model. It is not, please notice how he's changing. Submit is a military term, but if used in non-military context, you can't use the same kind of language. So what does Paul do? He suggests that the relationship between husbands and wife is not the relationship between a soldier and a general, but the relationship instead between body and head. It is an organic unity. It is a mutual supportive relationship that both are required in order for each to function. That's Genesis 2. Do you see what he's up to here? This is, this is for me, this is just, this is what saved my marriage when I blew it up. This is what saved it. I get it now. This isn't about me being the head of my household except this way. This isn't about me having the final say. This isn't about me... Uh, um, being the, decision, the, the decider. A little bit of political humor in there. Apparently, we've moved on. This is this. Do, do, do you see what I'm? Do you see what I'm after here? This is about how I get in my marriage to model the relationship between Christ and the church, and how. And notice what he says here. As Christ is the head of the church. So, how is it that the church submits to Christ? Why does the church submit to Christ? Because Christ is the boss? Because Christ is just more powerful than anybody else? Because Christ is going to beat the church if the church doesn't submit? Do you see what I'm doing? No. Christ, the church submits to Christ because the church loves Christ. Why does the church love Christ? Because he loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see what he's after here? 
This is, this is a, a, a relationship of, of enormous importance in the modeling of the relationships of intimacy in the world. Do, do, do you see what he's doing? So, so then he goes on, because and, and, this, is, this, is, um, this is really good news for husbands, yes? So now really good news for wives. Next one, Darren, please. Husbands, you are to love your wife how? In precisely the same way that Christ loved the church. Oh, by the way, you're not sure on that? Let me spell it out for you. He gave himself up for her. Why? To make her holy. To lift her to a new position of honor. To enable her full Beauty. The Greek literally says here, he's cleansed her by washing with water through the word. Present to himself, the Greek literally says, the church in all her beauty. He has invested his whole self, body included, in the emergence of the beauty of his bride. So that he could present to himself the church in all her stunning glory. Now, I'm guessing that if we were to get that right, it would not be difficult for wives to submit to husbands because husbands had previously submitted their whole selves and had devoted the entirety of their lives to the honor and beauty of their wives. I'm not going to ask for a straw vote. But I'm guessing, ladies, that that would make it fairly straightforward for you in the deciding process. This isn't at all, then, about power, is it? It's not at all about authority. It's about the witness of love. And especially in an Ephesian culture in which the power structures were so carefully outlined, dominating and manipulating, Paul says... There's another way. Here's what it looks like. He wants to present the church to himself in all her radiant beauty without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy, and the word here blameless literally means whole. Holy and whole. Holy and whole. Would you like to have somebody devote their whole life to making you whole? To learning you in such a way that you are fully empowered to be who God called and created you to be. That's what He's calling us to. That's, by the way, is what Christ has done for us. That's why here at the Garden we'll talk a lot about identity. Stepping into who God has called and enabled you to be. It's critical. It's the only way to save the world. And holiness, of course, then becomes the platform on which we can stand in wholeness and be useful to God in so doing. Right? Then he goes on and spells it out in this same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as they do their own bodies. The one who loves his wife loves himself. Now, here's the truth. We live in a culture, unlike Paul's culture, in which people don't love themselves. In which men increasingly do not love or care for their own bodies well. In which then that self-loathing works itself out in addictive behaviors, in damaging relationships, and in the ways that we treat those with whom we are most intimate. Is that fair to say? 
So when we read what Paul is saying here, we're saying, oh, man. So we have to put ourselves, men, we have to put ourselves, women, in the ideal. Because remember, this doesn't just apply to men. This applies to any of us in power in any relationship. Is everybody clear on that? Because sometimes in relationships, it's not men in power, it's women in power. And it, they're not, the, the kingdom isn't well served if women just use power the same way men have always used power. Right? So you can't use your power to dominate either. You have to use your power to elevate as well. Do you see? And, and the situation depends on who's in charge. If I can, who's got the sword of power in the relationship? You want a quick lesson in conflict resolution? Figure out who's got the sword. And then that person is the first to lay it down. There. Nobody wrote that down, but that, that's important. <laughs> do, 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 do you see what I'm saying? So, so here's Paul saying, look, look, folks, look, folks. If, if you don't have a solid sense of yourself in enough to care for yourself, what are you going to do? You are going to try for, to care for yourself by manipulating the care of others for you. Right. This is why Jesus said, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Self is always the bridge between love for God and love for neighbor. So so this may be a, a strategy, folks, this might be an invitation to learn how to be solid in who we are in Christ. Ephesians chapter um, uh, one, verses one through 14. If you go and do the podcast um, I would appreciate it because Darren and I have a competition as to how many downloads each of our sermons get. That's not true. I made that up, but nonetheless, <laughs> I found out he's gaming the system because you don't have to listen to the whole sermon. You just has to click on the play link and it and it counts. So I'm thinking that's what he's doing. Don't tell him I told you that. Okay. But anyway, do you see what do you see what we're after here? We shouldn't have this much fun in church. It's, it's serious. But do you see what we're after here, right? So if we learn into who we are as beloved of Christ, I don't need to protect myself with the same rigid boundaries against the damage other people might do me. I'm fine. I know who I am in Christ. So I can risk loving you. I can risk putting the sword down. I can risk your wounding me because I live in the imitation of Christ who absorbed my pain, my anger, my dysfunction and redeemed me. Now, because I know who I am, I can love you the way I love myself. And this is what he's after here. And then he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. How many recognize that as a quote, direct quote, both from Jesus and from Genesis chapter two? What's Paul doing here? Remember, Paul is a classically trained rabbi. He trained under Gamaliel. That is like the Harvard or the Yale or the Oxford of the ancient world of Jewish wisdom. 
So what Paul is doing here is, as a rabbi, tracing his argument in Ephesians 5 back to its source in Genesis 2. And he's making the case that what God intended in marriage in Genesis 1 and 2 is now available to those in Christ in Ephesians 5. And what's it going to cost you? Verse 21. Submit yourselves to Christ, then to one another. And please notice, this is, this is not the only case this works out. How many of you see yourself in this mirror in other patterns of relationships? With roommates, with friendships, right? With co-workers. How can I elevate? How can I lift? How can I serve? Because Jesus redefined power as not about the acquisition of power, but about the use of power to elevate and lift and serve. The, the language here is of lead servant. He goes first in serving. I occasionally will run into some folks when I do pre-marriage and, and other kind of counseling or conversations with people and talk about this, say, but the Bible says the husband's the head of the wife. That means he's the leader. And, I'm, you know, whatever. It doesn't actually say that, but that's okay. I'm happy if you want to insist on that. But if you're going to insist on that, I'm going to insist that you lead the way Jesus did. Anybody unclear on how that happened? He washes feet because he knows who he is. He lays aside his rights, his privileges, his hopes for the dreams of his beautiful bride. Right? And then Paul finishes up this. Now, I'm talking primarily about Christ and the church, but however. And then he holds up the coin. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, Respect your husbands. Two sides, same coin. Now, what do we do with this? Pete, in praying with us this morning, I think had a, had a real word that fueled his prayer. And the image that he used, sorry, Pete, I'm going to steal this was of boulders that had crept up and emerged in relationships between husbands and wives. And I'm going to give that boulder a name. And the name is power fueled by fear. That's why we want to dominate, isn't it? Because we're afraid. We want to use our power to keep people in line. We want to use our power to control everything at the edges so we can be terrified inside. Or we use, it to, we, we use power in, in unhelpful, unhelpful ways. And I would love this morning, if you see that as an image, okay, I get that. And I don't want to put people on the spot, but I want to put you on the spot. We're going to create some space for prayer this morning. And it might not be in a relationship between a husband and wife. It might be in a relationship between yourself and a close friend. And you recognize that's what this is about. That's why I keep bumping into things. That's why I keep banging my head on this. That's what that's about. I've got the sword. I need to lay it down. 
I need to find ways to serve, not dominate. I need to find ways to lift, to encourage, to enable, to empower, not insist. It's a risk, isn't it? It's a risk. That's why Jesus said, in a marriage, it's only safe if both have submitted previously to Christ. In friendships, you're going to have to be real discerning about what all that means. I'm not smart enough to figure all that out. But I am smart enough to say, if you see yourself in that mirror and we can pray with you this morning, I'm going to create some space here. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. And we just want to create some moments for you to see that boulder exploded in the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. And um, we're going to transition for a few minutes. But I'm going to invite you just to sit in stillness for a second. Let the Holy Spirit percolate down into your soul. What is He saying to you? What is He inviting you to? What is He challenging you with? Let's just sit. You want to sit with your eyes closed for a moment? You can do that. But let's just invite the Spirit of the living God to be present with us. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.